I'm Chris, and this is my Writing Table Podcast, where we talk to authors and other creatives about the writing world and what it takes to create the books that we love to read. Ready? Pull up a chair, and let's begin. Sophie Santos is a comedian and writer based in New York. She's written for New York shows on Bravo and MTV and currently hosts the satirical comedy show, The Lesbian Agenda. Her writing has also been featured in McSweeney. Sophia has appeared on Jimmy Kimmel Live and MTV News, and she has performed at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe and the Kennedy Center. Her memoir is The One You Want to Marry and Other Identities I've Had. Welcome, Sophie. Hey, how's it going? I had so much fun flipping through your book. The first chapter begins with a line many of us can relate to. I was a late bloomer. And it ends with something to the effect of being like Luke Skywalker, realizing that the force had been with you all along. Can you tell us a little bit about how it jump starts the one you want to marry and other identities I've had? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, it was just one of those things when it finally hit me that I was queer and that I was attracted to women It was like just something that I had never recognized, even though all the signs had been there, you know, and it was kind of like feeling that sort of like force where you're like, you finally start to see everything unfolding. And then to realize that by embracing my queerness, it was actually a a superpower because I feel like a lot of times as kids or adults, you know, or just people who who are trying to figure out their queerness, we tend to try to put on a persona that's not us, or we try to put ourselves in a box that, um, you know, society wants us to be in. And so then when you are like, when you realize it, or we're realizing it, you're like released from that. And then you're just like, oh my God, actually, I'm so powerful now because now I know who I am. Right. And I think that's relatable to anybody of like, once you Mm -hmm. just really know who you are and you have a point of view, you're like, let's go. Right. And so, and then as someone who's just like such a big nerd, I had to use the Luke Skywalker reference, but yeah, but that's what I I meant by that. And then we start the journey of from the beginning and how it all came to be and like an origin story, right. You know, because you're the hero of your own story. Whether it's about being queer or just not being able to come into their own. What do you think it is that holds us back? I mean, I think it's different for everybody, but I think for me personally, you know, because I can really only speak for myself, it really was like the lack of representation, which sounds really cliche, but like, you know, you think about representation does matter. Like what is in film and media and what's on the radio? It's like all these things that we consume daily is really, you know, it's showing us what's out there and the kind of life that you can have. And so I think especially for queer women, there's much less of that, you know, because I grew up in a time where like Will and Grace was really popular Obviously, you know, it still is with the reboot. Like the Jack character was like revolutionary, you know, and Will and like all of those characters, like they really were paving a way for gay men. And then of course, when Ellen came on the scene, that was a big deal. But because I didn't look like Ellen, I thought to be a lesbian or queer, you have to look like Ellen, right? So it's not only where there's just like a lack of representation, but the only representation we had was like one niche thing. And so for me, that was like the biggest hurdle because I kept being like, well, I don't look like these people, so I must not be gay. And I think that that's how it is for a lot of people and especially 
you know, if you want to get really detailed, we obviously with the patriarchy and like living in a world where the heteronormative lifestyle is really just kind of, you know, pushed down your throat. You're like, well, yeah, of course, that's what I'm going to do because that's the only thing that I see. And I think that's obviously a big roadblock. Yeah. You know, my daughter was the only little girl on her little league baseball team, like I don't know, pre-K, kindergarten. It was one of those things that was like, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. There were parents on the opposite side would be like, get her out. She'll be easy to get out. They were saying things that they weren't saying about the little boys. You played football. (laughs) That is like, okay, that's, that's way different. So what was that like? Well, first of all, kudos to your daughter for playing baseball. And I, it may be different, but like baseball is really hard. I was on a co-ed baseball team and uh-huh. like was not good. Like, and baseball is scary. That ball goes so fast. So honestly, I think that at times that can be more dangerous, but that's a, that's a, that's a story for a different day. I mean, it was awesome. I just was just been obsessed with football for forever and my grandfather played at Mississippi State and, you know, he was a good old boy and, and throw the pigskin around. And I, you know, grew up watching Paul Bear Bryant documentaries, Roll Tide, and uh, just really, you know, when you're a kid, you just kind of latch on to things. And that's what I latched on to. And I, and I remember asking my parents, begging them for years to let me play. I wanted to play peewee football. And they kept saying no because they didn't want me to get hurt. And, uh, and eventually they sat me down and said yes. But what I didn't realize is how hard it was. <laughs> <laughs> and, how, and how like you know like I realized I had to like use abs for the first time in my life which, you know, especially when you're a kid you're like what are yeah. abs I remember doing six inches and being like what is this like torture I thought I just got to play and like hit people with my shoulders and you know, I didn't realize all the conditioning that I had to do yeah but I will say I never faced any adversity I, I about doing it and if I did maybe I was just shielded from it I also maybe it was my own little again my own little shield around me I just was really just like no I want to do this I want to I want to play and I will say when I moved to Alabama I was like oh like this is going to be different and the weight room is like a, a, a tan shed, <laughs> and, a tan these boys, shed. <laughs> and these boys are part of my language I'm going to say it right now um are built like houses you know okay. and so <laughs> I was a little nervous that I was going to get a lot of pushback from that because I'm in deep Alabama but I really practiced a lot and in the off season and I was like I'm not gonna like let that happen and I showed up and I was surprisingly really good and then I became a starter and it was like that was it everyone was just like supporting me and the coach became like a really good family friend and yeah so you weren't like stepping in as a kicker you were no, you were, I was, a, yeah, 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 yeah. I was a offensive, offensive tackle. I was a really stout wow. kid and I was a defensive end. So I played on both sides. I remember getting like five sacks. Yeah, it was cool. And every time I do it, it would it'd just be like people, all the boys would be like, gosh, you know, you know, how, why, why does this keep happening? And I was like, just play better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> then later you kind of discovered your more girly side and I think I heard to say the least yeah yeah I think I heard that you did like some pageants and (laughs) ended up rushing a sorority at Alabama well when I went through puberty I just did a 180 you know yeah I was like and I remember when I was writing the book my editors were like were you just playing this part or did you actually like really enjoy being yeah and I was like no I like fully committed And I think that's also just my personality is like when I commit to something, I commit hard, but also there was this like so much estrogen going through my body, like the, just like going through puberty. I just genuinely was like, I became like a new person, even though that little tomboy queer person who, you know, didn't know I was gay 
was still inside me, I was still like really leaning hard towards the more femme stuff. And so then like once that started happening, my mom kind of persuaded me to do pageants because they give you good scholarships. And I only did one, but I did a junior miss, which is now distinguished young women. One of my stepdaughters was Nebraska's junior miss in like maybe 2000. Oh my gosh. Okay. I was Marshall County's junior miss. So I ended up going to state and you know, from there, a lot of those girls end up going to Auburn or Alabama and, you know, we family wasn't going to let me go to Auburn. So ended up going to Alabama and then it literally lined you up to be a sorority girl. So it's just like, it was like this destiny right. already starting to write itself, not the destiny I wanted, of course. And then I was at Alabama for two years and I mean, had too much fun. I'm always going to be an Alabama fan. There's been so much conversation probably over the last five years about how we conditioned children and how, well, you're a boy, you're supposed to do this. And you're a girl, you're supposed to do that. And I think you're a testament to how complex we are. It's more about the individual. And I think that's really cool that your parents encouraged you to do whatever it was at the time that lit your fire. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, I think my mom's head was about to snap from the mountain (laughs) as many directions as she kept turning her head. And she was just, Lord girl, I like, I just got, can't keep up, you know? (laughs) Both my parents always told me that I could do anything. And really, it just enforced that sort of, not like a, like a cocky thing, something that I think more kids should have as an inspiration, right? Because we are the creators of our destiny and we should be encouraged to try on as many hats as we want, you know, mm-hmm. and to unabashedly do so. And I got really lucky having two parents who instilled that in me. I can see how easy it would be for your parents to be like, oh, no, you will just play football in the backyard. You, you can yeah. sit on the sideline. Why don't you be a cheerleader? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah but if yeah. you saw photos of me, then you'd be like, that kid was not a cheerleader. When I waddled to the uh, the shed, the like women who were like at the registration table were like, here for cheerleading. And I was like, are you, this is a joke. Like you are, you're a comedian, right? Like in my mind, because I was wearing like cargo shorts button-down Hawaiian shirts. I was wearing Birkenstocks, closed-toed Birkenstocks with tube socks. And then I had my hair part down the middle like a butt crack. And then I would pull it in a really tight ponytail so that even like, you know, a category five hurricane couldn't make it come loose. Like, and that's how I looked for like seven years. So I'm just saying, I cheerleader could look like anything. I'm not, there, there is a little Miss Sunshine out there who could be a cheerleader and I will never take that away from her. But for me, for me, that was not my path. <laughs> you had all these experiences. Then you became a stand-up comedian. Mm-hmm. And then you've written this book. So what was it that inspired you to write this book and share your experiences? Well, I was actually doing stand-up at a show. Mm-hmm. And there was an editor that happened to be in the lineup. Because it was like this sort of hybrid show where it wasn't an actual stand-up show. It was like there were stand-ups, there were musicians, there were poets. Mm-hmm. And this particular poet was also an editor. And we just got to talking after the show. And I was like, I really like your stuff. and. She was like, I really like your stuff too. Let me know if you want to write a book one day and handed me your business card. You know, and that's the kind of stuff where you go, wow, <laughs> that, you know, you think this doesn't happen to me. So this was right place, right time. But I will say I'd always wanted to tell my story because I knew it was bonkers. I knew it was insane. I had never thought about doing it as a book, just a medium I wasn't as familiar with. But of course, there are a lot of stand-ups that write memoirs or collections of essays. And that is definitely something that is a path. And so so then it all lined up, you know, and then I just happened to get with a great imprint. Transparence creator, Joey Soloway, is the head of my imprint to have them be a champion of my voice 
and want me to tell this story, just all the more reason to do it. But you said that you didn't have a lot of experience with that. So how did you approach writing your memoir? Took us about two years. I remember I didn't have Word. (laughs) I wrote, I was writing in Google Docs and my editors go, they brought me in and we were just like talking about, you know, storytelling in this form. I'd written for TV and I'd I'd done sketch comedy and then I write stand up and stuff. And so they were trying to be like, okay, let's, it's not, you're not writing stand up here. You know, this is narrative. And, and then they say, but also do you have Word? Because we're concerned. (laughs) I mean, I'd already signed the paperwork, but the contract was already sealed, wet signature done. And I was like, Oh, um, no. And they're like, okay, we can like get you word. And I was like, they're like, cause you're going to have like a manuscript. And so that was kind of a kick. I just had great editors. As soon as I realized that I could get to tell my story, I was like, well, these are phases of my life. Right. So mm-hmm. And what was the major turning point? Because I'm also an actor. And so, you know, you think a lot with, with acting like turning points. I said, what was the major turning point in my life? And that was when I realized I was a lesbian at Wellesley mm-hmm. College. Um, and I was like, so how did we get there? Oh. So I then I just started to backtrack. And then it was just really plotting out those points of like, and all those signs, right? All the signs that like led to me to realize that I was queer. But I also knew that I wanted to separate the book into three separate phases. So when I had that structure, I was like, that's, that's it. And I knew that from pretty much the jump and then, yeah. And then my editors were ruthless. This is bad, Sophie. Like, can you write a (laughs) sentence, like an actual sentence? I know I got better at it, better at it, better and better. And now I'm like, I'm correcting people's grammar. You know, it's just like anything. Once you start working on something and it becomes your everyday skill, you just get that skill set and you just keep getting better at it. So how did this compare with to writing for television? Oh, I mean, it's so hard, (laughs) so hard. So hard. <laughs> Television's easy. Uh, at least the show that I worked on. You know, I'm just pitching pitching jokes about people in hot tubs and <laughs> making puns. I worked on Blind Date, which is a very old school show that ended up being rebooted for Bravo. Yeah, I mean, it was hard because also just like having to really go there. And I think that was something also my editors were like really big on is being vulnerable. You know, yeah. I remember I had one editor that said, think about the one thing you don't want to tell anyone and tell everybody. At first I rejected that. And I was like, okay, well, that's hilarious, yeah. but that's never going to happen. And then as the process went on, I was like, oh my God, she's never been more right. And so then once I started to embrace that and I just like let go, then everything just started to flow and I was able to open up and, and, and it's paid off. Cause I think readers are connecting to the more tough stuff that I didn't have to write about, but I, but I had to, you know what I mean? Like I had to. Right. What's your story? I read you were influenced by Tina Fey's writing. Mm -hmm. Her memoir is just so funny and she's unabashedly funny and just goes there. And I really liked her style. I liked that she also had some inserts, which I thought was really cool and something that I wanted to do. So like formatting wise, but it really was like telling a story in a narrative way but also punching it up with jokes. And um, she really, if anything, she really helped me with my, my chapter about my dad, because she has a wonderful chapter on her dad. And that was really inspirational to me. Um, And then there was also um, when she talks about the summer camp and Mm -hmm. being like in a showmance and stuff like that really helped (laughs) with me, like thinking about like what it was like for me to be in community theater And it was really just kind of pulling these chapters really related to and then being like, Mm -hmm. don't take on this. 
definitely more comedic memoirs by women now, but they're not as many. And so mm-hmm. I really wanted to hear from the lens of a, of a female writer who's also a comedian. So I could yeah. kind of help shape it. What would you tell other writers who are struggling with how much of themselves you put on paper? I mean, if it's too close to home, like if it's something that you haven't actually processed, Mm -hmm. like you don't have to have processed it completely. Like I was still in therapy for some of the things that are in my book when I was writing it. As the time was ticking away, I was becoming more removed from it, right? And I think that's a big thing is like being enough removed where you can write about it is really important. But I also think we're not perfect. No one is perfect. And if it's your truth, then you need to say it because it's a disservice to readers, but it's more of a disservice to yourself. We also want to feel like it's relatable. I really love writers who are like, I'm not perfect. These are the things that I did, but this is how I'm growing from it. Don't be so hard on yourself and just write what is your truth, you know? We just came off the holidays and (laughs) I just want to throw out a Christmas song to you. Where are you Christmas? Apparently Faith Hill is is someone that you really admire. Uh, yes, I would say that's correct. You seem yeah, a little frazzled yeah. about Faith Hill yourself. What's going yeah, on there? I, so we went to a fundraiser for the Tug McGraw Foundation. Okay. I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. There was like a little cocktail party. Faith and Tim are sitting off to the side. I really like the chef. So I went to go talk to the chef because I'd met him before. And somebody pulled him to the back and the line cleared. And Faith turns around and goes, hi, I'm Faith Hill. And I went, you're so pretty. And your kids are so pretty. (laughs) I just went completely stupid. I'm sure that she gets it a lot. I'm sure there was absolutely no judgment from her. She's probably thinking, yeah, there's a lot of people walking around that can't talk when they're around her. (laughs) So have you watched, I call it the badass Faith Hill on 1883? I haven't seen her there yet. Because once I start watching, then it will eventually be over, right? So I have to- There are only five episodes right now. Right. And I got to space it out, you know, but but I am a big fan. She was a big awakening for me. Um, Chris is referencing the- uh, me talking about I think in Entertainment Weekly about how yeah yeah where are you Christmas is where the best music video of all time the whole thing is iconic and it's great because they basically what they do is they just superimpose her in all of these scenes with the Grinch <laughs> just like watching and I'm like what what this doesn't make sense um and then but she's just like glowing and like she's got the whole 2000s look she's got like, yeah the, the kind of gauzy you know, kind of <laughs> yeah Um, a lot of lip gloss, a lot of sparkles, and she looks very ethereal. She looks like an elf. Yeah, it was an awakening for me. So (laughs) go watch the music video. So how about the Grinch? How do you feel? Oh, I love the Grinch. I I think How the Grinch Stole Christmas might be one of the best comedic films there is. That and Elf. um, Oh, yeah. They're just so... They're just so funny. I watch The Grinch every Christmas with my mom. So my mom comes to visit me in LA and we're watching How the Grinch Stole Christmas and I had these edibles and my mom wanted to try an edible. And I was like, okay, great. So we each take an edible. And as the movie goes on, of course, we start. it starts to hit us. And it really hit us though at the very end where it's like the Grinch has saved Christmas. Cindy Lou Who has helped him. He's with Martha Who Huvier and all is well. And then all of the Who's get around the Christmas tree and start singing the Fahu Dore right? And so my mom and I start singing the song and we thought, A, that we had come up with it. B, it was like, we weren't saying real words because we were high and not that it's actually a song of like gibberish. And we just yeah. couldn't 
stop laughing. So we're just like in a prayer circle singing the song <laughs> with the who's and high out of our minds, literally high out of our minds. <laughs> and, uh, and it was perfect. It was a great way to enjoy Christmas. Well, what other movies have you been watching lately that you like? Mm, movie? Shows? Uh, what have you been watching? You know what? I rewatched uh, Memories of a Murder, which is like real mm-hmm. dark. I'm really into like Asian film and content and stuff. So I really, really like that, um, especially if you like foreign films. I just watched Hawkeye because I'm a big Marvel nerd. Um, I got like Raz though, because I like watched it like a week ago and I was supposed to watch it in November or December when it came out. And I was like, excuse <laughs> me, I'm sorry. I have a life. I stand Haley Steinfeld and she's amazing. I just started Yellow Jackets. Again, I understand that this is late. I am a big football fan. So I'm currently in the NFL playoffs mentally. <laughs> like that's all I'm consuming. And I'm also a big Phoenix Suns fan. So I'm just like constantly following them. And that's my content. I've tried to watch and just like that, which I call, and this is it. <laughs> yeah, you only have so much I, time. It's only so much time. And, and not enough Faith uh, Hill. Not enough Faith Hill. <laughs> not enough Faith Hill. So that, I guess that's next, 1883. I'm not into Westerns. And I didn't really enjoy Yellowstone. Sorry. Like Kevin Costner, but it has a real like badass role vibe. Are both her told. and Tim in it? Yeah. Are they are they lovers or are they like not together? No, they're married. They're married. Oh, they're married in it. Because it'd be kind of fun if they were married to other people. I kind of what are you reading? Right now I'm reading Dune because first of all, I hadn't read it before. And mm-hmm. uh when the movie came out, I was like, well, I have to know what happens. Like, cause no spoilers, but like it's literally the first half of the book. And I'm also <laughs> like on this whole kick right now where like I want to read fantasy novels that like I've been fans of. In your view, what is good writing? Hmm. Well, this kind of goes back to my comedy days, right? Might be more tailored for comedians, but I think it can translate. We can expand it. I remember when I started doing sketch comedy and I was taking classes at UCB, my comedy teacher was like, when it comes to writing a good sketch, my one word of advice is if you think it's funny, then at least one person thinks it's funny and then follow the funny. I like that a lot because it's basically making you trust yourself, right? And Mm -hmm. What is the best writing advice you've received? It goes back to what one of my editors said is think about the one thing you don't want to tell anyone and tell everybody. That changed the whole book. And now I live by that because people want to see messy. Thank you, Sophie. Well, thank you so much for having me. To learn more about Sophie, visit sophiesantos.com. If you're enjoying The Writing Table, please consider leaving us a review. There are so many podcasts out there. Reviews help other listeners find us. Thanks so much for your support.